0: if you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. And this began to hit me and ignite my heart again this week. Hebrews 10, 37. For in just a little while, how long? A little while. Now, when the Bible says a little while, that can be hundreds of years. He who is coming will not delay. He who is coming will not delay, will come, sorry, he who is coming will come and will not delay. So he's coming. Can you just hit that slide for me, guys, please? And then I'm going to have that video in a minute. Go back. Yeah, the first slide, Ralph. Uh, Is that the first slide? Just leave it there then. Leave it on. Don't go to that one. Stay with Hebrews for me. Ignore that. We'll catch up to that in a minute. For just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous ones, do we have any righteous ones here this morning, will live by faith. And if he, she, or they shrink back, I'm not going to be pleased with him, her, or them. But we are not of those who shrink back, but we're of those who believe and are saved. One of the startling realities of the New Testament church believers is they lived with a sense that Jesus Christ was coming back for them. This was a core thought, a core principle, a core excitement that caused them to keep on believing, keep on trusting, keep on walking and keep on doing the things that they were encouraged to do that when Jesus was around. In fact, at one point, I'm not sure if it was the Galatians or the Philippians, they thought they'd missed. They thought they'd missed the return of Christ. And so the brothers had to go there and talk to them and say, look, you haven't missed it. We're still here. If you missed it, we missed it. We all missed it. But that's not the fact. So the, the, the issue is, is that this central message of Jesus Christ returning back has very much been lost in today's church. And when you lose, you know, when we used to say to the kids, Father, Christmas is coming. How much expectancy and excitement is in the kids' minds, right? Rightly or wrongly, whichever way you want to look at that, I'm just saying it created an example. Or you say to the kids, you're going on holiday. You're going to Disneyland or wherever it is you're going There is great, great excitement to the point where you actually count down the days and we say, how many sleeps left, mum?" There's so many sleeps. Why? Because this expectancy fills the minds and hearts. And for a short window, you as a parent have a lot of leverage of getting them to do things and behave. Why? Because now you have power to say, well, if you don't do this, you're not coming. No! Home alone? Never. So this was one of the core things that was in the minds of this church is that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And that ancient truth is still a present truth. Jesus is coming back again. So you say, well, if he's coming back again, how many thousands of years ago? Didn't he say in a little while? A little while, a day is a thousand years. Is like a thousand years in the Bible. You can't say it in a literal context. You've got to understand what is meant by that. So in a little while means there's still things to be done. There's still an attitude to be gained. There's still a work to be done. There's still an assignment to be fulfilled. And you must live and I must live like Jesus Christ is coming back again. But plan like he's not coming back for a thousand years. Live like he's coming back tonight, but plan like he's not coming back for another thousand years. Live like he's coming back tonight, but plan like he's not coming back for another thousand years. So if you live, that means you keep a short account. If Jesus came back tonight and we disappeared, there's going to be all calamities over this earth. It's true. They're going to, the world's going to think, what the heck has happened to all the Christians. And because the Bible tells us that we're going to be taken. So, this is a core reality of your faith. Jesus will return back, he will return back. People were spiritually motivated. They were, I should say, that it moved them spiritually. It motivated in them individually and synergized them corporately and collectively. This news moved them spiritually. It motivated them individually. And it synergized them corporately and collectively. This thought that Jesus Christ could come back tonight and you might have to meet him so sobered the people that they lived with a different Expectation. Now in Christianity, we think the only time we're going to get to see Jesus, that's if you're a believer, is if I die and go to heaven. But the Bible tells us he can come in a twinkling of an eye. And we who are caught up with him. So to, to remove this belief and expectation from your thinking and from your lifestyle will suddenly cause you to procrastinate. Slip back. Manana, got loads of time. No problem. When I die, I'm going to see Jesus. But what happens if he comes back and and kind of gets you unaware? It's like your dad walking in on you and finding you doing things you shouldn't be doing. But we don't need to live in fear if we we love him. But we should live in expectancy that he's coming back. It's amazing that when you don't care for something and you don't pursue something, it's amazing how easily you shrink back. And this is what he was saying in Hebrews that, you know, just in a little while, he who is coming will come and he won't delay. He's coming and he won't delay. In other words, he'll come bang on time. Yeah? But my righteous ones will live by faith. And if he or they shrink back, I'm not going to be pleased with them. So Jesus taught us the dangers. Jesus taught us the dangers. Where's my scripture? Matthew 25. This is the one. It? Yeah, okay. Jesus taught us the dangers that trivial... Uh, should I should say, Jesus taught us the danger of trivializing the things that he said. Hello? Jesus taught us the dangers of trivializing those things that should matter most important to us. Jesus said to his disciples, there will be an imminent return. And... That imminent return requires you and I to do an action. So we read in this, the bridegroom, he was telling the story and the bridegroom was a long time in coming. How long? So we just read a little time. Now it's a long time. Now I don't know if you know that, but a long time is much longer than a little. And they became drowsy and all fell asleep. Picture yourself in this story. At midnight, the cry rang out. He's here, the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of that oil. Our lamps are going out. So they said, Push off your scuffer. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us, for us and, for us and you. Instead, go to those who sell and buy oil, some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with him on the wedding banquet and the door was shut. There were some who they were all told, he's coming back. Get ready. Live your lives ready. But five of them thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, he's here. He's come. Well, we've we got no oil. We can't see him. We can't find him. Give us some of your oil. Push off. Why? Because he told you and I, both had the same warning. Jesus Christ will come back and there's going to be millions upon millions upon millions of people who are going to get caught out unawares. Why? But those who, listen, even those who know Jesus Christ should live with an expectation. Have you got any oil in your lamp? Do you remember the old song? Don't make me sing it to you. And he's trying to tell us that if you're going to run the race, you must have oil and you must have expectation because Jesus Christ could come back before you die. It could very much come back before you and I die. And this is a message that much of the church no longer runs with. Jesus Christ is coming back. The matter of when. Yeah? Yeah. And this is why the Bible gives this analogy. Two will be walking side by side. Then all of a sudden, it's like those alien movers, isn't it? We all get gone. And then all of a sudden you look around, you go, didn't I have someone with me just a minute ago? And panic sets in right across the earth. Planes crash. Cars crash. Why? Because the guy who was driving, or the girl who was driving, was a Christian, and now they've been taken. And all of a sudden, there's panic right across the world. Do you know, Americans, pilots today, won't put two Christians in the same cockpit? Because they're they're concerned that if one goes, the whole plane's gone. Yeah, it's true. Only Christians are a bit dumb. Only Christians don't take note of it. Even the world realized that this could be a reality. And if this is a reality, this is the oldest book and the best-selling book, if this has got any elements of truth in it, we can't afford to take the risk. You know, automatic pilot's not a person, don't you? So, the return of Jesus Christ is called the blessed hope. Then we see another scripture, 1 Corinthians. And he encourages the people, the saints in the church, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 to 58. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's saying, stand firm, keep working, and keep expecting. Stand firm. Stand firm. Hold your position. Hold your position. Whatever whatever your position is in life, people will always come and try and knock you off your perch. Yeah? Hold your position. Hold to your conviction. Hold to your core convictions. Hold to them. Stand in that place. Keep moving, keep walking, and keep expecting that at any time, Jesus could come back. Even tonight. You know, some of us might not wake up in the morning. You know why that is? Some could die. But the reality is, the Bible says, in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, just like that, boom, gone. Abracadabra. Gone. I like that idea. I like that idea. We just been standing there, gone. But, until then, until then, keep on moving. Z, can you play my video for me, please? Please watch this video. Very short, but very powerful movie. Tell yourself, keep on moving. You've got to keep on moving. While you're waiting for Christ to return, you've got to keep on moving. You've got to keep on moving. Standing firm, keep on moving. Because some things in life matter. Some things in, in life matter. And can you put me on slide back? Oh, it slides back up. You see this? You know, I've been talking about this. Four stages of life. Four stages that clearly at any one time in your life can cause you to stop moving. Your origin, the nature. The natural place of your birth, the place where, where earthly things of life are learned, formed, developed, or were destroyed. Spiritually, this is a time for the time and circumstance leading to your faith. But so many, so many of us have been destroyed by our origin. So many of us, so many of us feel weakened, limited, contained by our origin. Our environment wasn't the perfect environment. Our parents didn't necessarily give us everything we need. But they were good people, but they had limitations on their life. And there's always a reason. Well, I came from a poor environment. I came, my family never had any money. We were the poorest in the street. And your origin can always be the reason for you to stop moving if you let it. But your origin, not every origin, is negative. Some people have a fantastic origin and it becomes a springboard for launching them. Through the life, but at some point in their life, there'll be a circumstance, a reason, an excuse, an opportunity to stop moving. And then what happens is you move into the second zone, and it's called deterioration. At some point, you either allow yourself to deteriorate because you stopped holding on to principles, you stop believing, you stop expecting, you stop, you know, you let go of your commitment, you put down what you had. Or others put you down so much that you deteriorated emotionally, psychologically. And as a result, you stop moving because of the deterioration in your life. And so many people in life are hindered because of deterioration. Deterioration enters in. See what happens is? Three stages of behavior. Inactivity, reactive, or you become passive. Three things contain people and stop them from moving. Because of deterioration in the soul or in their spirit, bad experiences. Well, my first husband, he really messed me up. Or my first wife, or my first girlfriend. Every reason in the book to stop moving. It is. We've all had the reasons, we've all had experiences, we've all been kicked and many of us will stay with deterioration and blame others. It becomes the safe place now in which to blame everybody else and let everyone else fail, rather than us ever go. Why? Because I'm, I'm deteriorated. I, I, I'm I'm hurt and wounded. And though these are reals, these are real issues. Deterioration deterioration enters in because there has been no Christ nature developed. I'm talking about spiritually now. So you get saved. So you bring your past. But your past has to be reshaped. It has to be reformed. It has to be repurposed. So that you don't live by your past. You live now by your present and by your future expectancy. Your future destiny. Your future hope. But so many people crossing them over from the past to the future. They get lost, and then the the most risky of all—the most risky of all—is the restoration. What happened, boys? Is every is every kind of technological demon after me today? Restoration is a proactive decision. Stop a minute. Look at me. It's a proactive decision. If you know there is deterioration, limitation and containment, then some, if you know it's there, then you have to acknowledge that something has to change in order for you to change. It's a proactive decision. Spiritually speaking, not every believer is courageous enough to allow their life to be restored by Christ. It takes courage. When believers shun biblical principles, they ultimately hinder themselves and their own advancement in God. And as a result, they respond to their Christian life, sorry, as God. And as a result, they spend their Christian life limping to the finishing line. I don't know what your picture is of you finishing the Christian race, but it's not limping. It's not dragging me like, I've just finished. Oh, thanks Lord for the energy. That's not... Finishing the Christian race. That's called falling over the line. Now, I don't know what picture you've got of God's expectation for you to finish the race, but it's not like that. Did you read Paul's account of his life, even though he was persecuted and killed? Did you see that picture? No, I've run the race. I fought. I said I fought the fight. I've run the race. I finished strong. Paul did everything. It wasn't a picture. <laughs> Pity me, woe is me. If you've got any reason why you should stay in the deterioration, the restoration, I've got more. And if you want to compare wounds, there'll be, there's bound to be somebody in this room who's got more than you. There's bound to be someone who's got deeper red blood than you who's got shed more blood than you, who's took more punches in you. So let's save ourselves some time and let's not trade. Let's acknowledge and deal with some things because the, tr- the true goal of all our Christian race and what Luther Martin Luther was, was alluding to was we've got to keep on going to destiny that leads to destination. The two things are very different. Destiny and destination are two different things. Why? Destiny is the journey. Destination is the end place. So destiny is the path. If two can walk together, they're on a path. I don't like you, but my life's taken me through on many paths. And that's destiny. I meet people. I go places. I have experiences. I have success. I have failures. I have tears. I have joy. I have kids, I have grandkids, I have expectations, but oh, that's my destiny and your destiny. But we must, it must all be going somewhere. That's called purpose. What is my life about? And this zone over here called destiny leading to destination, it's an adventure. It's adventure. It's but there's pain in that adventure, but it's fantastic, it's like bungee jumping. Sometimes you just got to jump. But it's part of the adventure. That's why you got to find, follow and finish the will of God for your life. But some Christians never get out of restoration and never get into destiny. But they talk about it all the time. But they're always hampered by deterioration and restoration. Now you can be in restoration and keep on moving. Do you know if you've had cancer and you start get you get the you've gone through the worst you've had the radiotherapy chemotherapy whatever it is, you can still carry on doing what you were doing, but your body's being restored. True. So many many times we don't have to wait until restoration's over. Now in some cases we do, but in a lot of cases we can we've got to keep on moving even though we're being restored. Because the Bible tells me I'm going from one degree of glory to another. So I've got to keep on moving. I've got to be willing and courageous to hold his hand so I come through the restoration. And then I'm going to go through some other stuff and I might need a little another season of restoration. Because life's full of seasons of restoration. But in your worst time, who do you turn to? Your friends. Shame on you. Not that friends are not good, by the way. Your first priority as a Christian should be to God. He's the one who restores, and then God uses people to restore people. Yes? I'm not saying friends, you know what? Hear what I'm not saying. Just listen to what I am saying. If that makes sense. Friends are vital. I don't know what you'd do without me. Destiny, leading to destination. I'm all about, listen, I've been in every one of those. Been in every one of those. I felt for years, I lived in deterioration. For many years as a believer, I struggled. I was living in deterioration. Blaming, attitude, stinking. Blaming me dad, blaming the family, blaming all kinds of things. And then God brought me into restoration where I had to be courageous enough to accept that not everything is the result of the past. Live, you can change the past today by moving into the future. But you need people to help you in the restoration and there is the, where courage is needed. But I am, and by all God's energy, I am determined by God's energy and by the strategies of heaven to get you out of deterioration. To get you through restoration. To get you into destiny and destination. Amen? Amen? We've all got an origin. It's called in the beginning. Many of us don't, you know, it was not a perfect environment. The womb has become the most dangerous place. On planet Earth. And then people not only escape, they, they go through that, may, uh, the, uh, the roulette of w- will I get aborted or will I make it? Those who get, make it end up living in war torn countries. And it seems like they fight every day of their life just to stay alive. And you and I hopefully have not had that environment. So, but everyone's got a story on planet Earth, everyone's got a reason to stop moving. But I like the idea of the arrow. I'm aiming for the bullseye. I'm aiming for the bullseye of God's perfect plan for me. And Luther said it so well, didn't he? You need to have a proper, solid blueprint. What a powerful word that was. This is why I'm suffering as I am, says Paul. I'm not ashamed because I know who I believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard What I have entrusted to him this day. You've got to know who you believe in. If you're going to go through deterioration, if you're going to have some hope in restoration, if you're going to move towards destiny and destination, you've got to have a blueprint. And Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, I know why I'm suffering. I know why I'm going through hell. Why? Yet I'm not ashamed. I'm I'm standing firm. Because I know whom I believed in. And I know that when I know that it will believe and I know it's going to bring a certain amount of trouble. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him that day. That's why Paul made him Christ as the blueprint in his life. Amen? The question is, whether you have a proper, solid blueprint, whether you have a proper, solid one or you have a fictitious one, Luther said, one, uh, sorry, Acts, uh, Paul says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid. You know, when God says don't be afraid, there's every reason to be afraid. That's what I've learned about God. When he says don't be afraid, it's because you're going to go into a territory where it's going to be pretty risky. So he's telling you, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be afraid. Silent. What was the one thing that got Paul in trouble? His mouth. What's the one thing that gets you in trouble? Your mouth. What's the one thing that has, that has got me in trouble with you? My mouth. Listen. What's the one thing that's got you out of trouble? My mouth. And God's mouth. Keep on speaking. Refine your language. Learn some new words. Keep on speaking, don't be silent, for I'm with you, that's all I need to know. And, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in the city. I want to hear that. So Paul stayed, how long? For a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So what did Paul do from that instruction? He kept on speaking. For a year and a half, he kept on speaking. He was just about to do a runner. He was just about to exit. He was just about to to exit from the very place because his mouth was getting him in trouble. And God steps into the scene, the same God that he previously just read, that says, I know he's able. And I'm convinced. So when God spoke and when God speaks, is he still able? So is he able to take you through restoration? Is he able to take you out of deterioration? Is he able to take you into destiny? And destination. All it takes is for you to take hold of the word that he's speaking. But you'll never go into restoration if you keep going forward, backwards, forward like the Irish jig. You'll never find restoration that way. Go to your doctor's. And he gives you some tablets. And then you go back again. I'm still feeling sick. Did you take them? No. Why? I don't like those tablets. Doctor's going to say, jog on. How can I bring your body into restoration if you won't listen to what I say? And it's the same with Christianity. So he says, don't be silent for I'm with you. I love this. Don't be silent. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent for I'm with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. God's got more people to help you than you could ever imagine. Oh, yes. God is able to bring an angel to your door. God's able to bring an angel to your house. God's able to bring money where there is no money. God's able to bring food where there's been no food. God is able, why? Because he has his people in the city. Do you know I know that? I've witnessed it. I've had food been given to me mysteriously. I've had money given to me mysteriously. Why? Because God's got his people. Tony, if you keep on speaking, I'll keep on supplying but Lord, every time I speak, I get in trouble. If you keep on speaking, I'll keep on supplying. Well, Lord, there's nobody. There's nobody here. I've got many people in this city. Well, God, why don't why don't they come to our church? I didn't say that. I said I have many people who can in this city who can come and minister to your needs. I can send a raven to your house to feed you. Wow. And the evidence of Paul, he stayed. A year and a half. Some people can't even stay in a church for half a year. Why? Because God told him to keep on speaking. What is God God telling you to do? What does God keep on telling you? What does he have to keep on telling you to do? Keep on. Well, you know why God keeps telling you? Because it's God's way of telling you to keep on moving. These zones will trap you down. There's nothing like destiny to get you hurt. Because it's an adventure. Sometimes it's a wild adventure. Yeah? You've got to have a blueprint. Yeah, let's go there. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. Now, this is a man who was completely scared, freaked out that the Midianites were were invading, and God selects this guy to go and do something brave and courageous. So during the night, the Lord says to him, get up, go down to the camp, because I'm about to give it into your hands. How How do you know what God's about to put into your hands if you don't get up and keep on moving? Then he says, the story goes on. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God, he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianites' camp into our hands. So now, after a long period of time, he begins to see that God is actually the God of his word. The thoughts he was having, the, the, um, the angel that turned up, telling him what to do, he's now beginning to see that he who is with him is greater than he who is against him. Yes? And then the great scripture at the bottom here, 1 Kings, it's about a prophet who's been totally devastated by fear because one woman opens her mouth and says, I'm going to kill you. He'd just seen God provide supernatural acts on Mount Carmel. And now he's freaked out to the bone because one woman speaks to him and says, I'm going to have you. So he's gone from, you know, destiny, destination, Instantly to deterioration. Fear has so grabbed, grabbed him, it's like you're on the mountain on a Sunday, blessed be the Lord, blessed be the Lord, and next minute, on a Monday, you're, you're down in the, in the, in the, the guts of thinking, oh my God, oh my God. What went wrong from Sunday to Monday news? Someone spoke. You heard something. And this is what he says. And I don't even you've ever felt like this, so maybe you can pick this up. And he starts with, I've had enough. I'm not having it anymore. Whenever I open my mouth for you, trouble always finds me. I've had enough. And then he says, take my life. Go on. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. How would you fall asleep when you're freaked out? <coughs> then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Why? Keep on moving. And he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. Then the angel of the Lord came back said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights. That's some kind of angel food, that, isn't it? Angel's delight. Come on. Stay with me now. Stay with me. Travel for 40 days and 40 nights. Listen, it's that bad, but you didn't risk it. I risked the joke. He reached it until Horeb and the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Twice the angel came to him to feed him, to restore him. But even though he was being restored, he had to move from restoration to destiny and destination. The mountain was his destination. And then he had to go and anoint uh, the king. He had to go and anoint, was it Ahab? Ahab, sorry. Uh, So he still had some more of the mission, but he kept on moving to his destination and to his destiny, though he felt he'd gone through deterioration and then he needed restoration. What a wonderful picture to show that, God, it's not a reason, it's not an excuse, and you haven't got a license to stop even though you deteriorated. You've got to keep on moving. You've got to keep on moving. Your Christian race depends on it. Your life depends on it. So many people, when they lose hope, when they lose loved ones and they lose hope, their tendency is to give up. I've got no more reason now. My partner's gone. I've got nothing else to live for. And that's deep and it's powerful. And God's saying, no, there's still more. There's still life for you. And we have to go through tragedies and we have to go through turmoil. And when people are taken from our life, it feels like 50% of us is gone. And God says, I know you're hurting. I know it's traumatic, but keep on moving. Why? Because I've still got things for you. I've still got things for you to discover. I've still got things for you to touch. I've still got things for you to experience. There's still an adventure left for you. How do you know I can't bring somebody else into your life? Keep on moving. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. And then he says this. Uh, Martin Luther said this, things you should have in your life blueprint, a deep belief in your own dignity. These are the reasons why people deteriorate because they've got no belief in their own dignity and in your own worth and somebodyness. You know why? Because people rob it from you. People take it, people speak ugly to one another and demean you and take it away so you have no worth, no dignity, no, no sense of value. And somebodyness. that's not a word, but he, he said it, so I put it in there. Don't allow anyone to make you feel that you are a nobody. Always feel that you have worth and that you count and always feel that your life has ultimate significance. It's easy to say that, but you need people around you to put it into you. If it could be done by itself, It won't be a problem. But when people take these things from us, it takes others to help us restore and put these words in. But the problem is, is when those who love you are the ones taking it away from you, that's the difficulty. So we have to find another group of people who love us to put it back. Where do you think that your lack of dignity and worth and significance is formed or damaged? It's in your origins. Does that make sense? Then he said, such confidence is this through Jesus Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. There are some things that will come from one another. Listen to me now. There are some things that it's right for me to speak certain things into people. It's right for me to speak certain things into my children. It's right, God's given me the opportunity. God's given me that responsibility to speak things into my children. God shouldn't have to speak those things into Scott, Laura and Ben when I should have done them. But when they're, if they're traumatised because of what I haven't put in, then God has to speak to restore the things that I didn't do. or should the things I did do and should have done to them. So what we need is a work between God and man. So that is my responsibility to tell my wife, I love her. Hear what I'm saying? In the context of my relationship with Carol, it's my job to tell Carol, I love her and she's valued. It's not God's. He gave her to me. Right? Carol, God will speak to Carol about her, his love for her on a completely different level. But it's my responsibility to tell her... And wash my wife and clean my wife with the words I use. It's my responsibility to tell my children I love them. He's given them me. It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to tell them they're a dipstick. Because that's my responsibility. True? Come on, you're not so convinced about that, are you? It is your responsibility to tell them they're wrong. It's not your responsibility to rob every good thing out of them when you're doing it. But it is your responsibility to say, son, I think you might have a bit of a dipstick there. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them and he committed to us to the message of reconciliation. You can get out of restoration. Why? Because he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. You can be restored. You can get out of deterioration because he's given you the ministry of reconciliation. Hello? There's no reason on this earth for you to stay there and live like a victim. Christ has given us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. You can be reconciled in your emotions. You can be reconciled in your relationships. Are you courageous enough to take the word? God is able to make all the grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Keep on moving. Wow. Thirdly, lastly, there must be a commitment to the eternal principles. I love this. What's eternal? Beauty. I'm looking at beauty this morning. Oh, yeah, you've all got different faces, different races, different faces. But I'm looking at beauty. Why? Because you're God's creation. You're wonderfully and fearfully made. Yeah? Beauty is not something I have to fancy. But beauty is something that must be acknowledged. We're all beautiful before God. Don't look in the mirror. It lies. It lies. It exaggerates. It really does exaggerate. The only time a fella looks in the mirror is to shave. But when you go in the gym, you see these fellas. I sat Phil the other week. I couldn't, you know when you think, if I say something now, I'm going to get hammered. And this guy sat there and he's, he's got a bit of timber on him. And he sat there and he's in his underpants. And that's what I say. And he sat there in front of the mirror. He's just finished his workout. He's like that. And I walked past him and I wanted to say, still a lot of work left then, eh? And I just thought, it was almost like I went, <laughs> the worst thing to do is look in the mirror in the gym. See, if you turn sideways and breathe in, we all look good. But Why look in the mirror? Why? Because I need to see what I'm doing is working. You can't go and have a workout and look in the mirror and see the results instantly. It doesn't work. But I've got to believe what I'm doing will get the results Best thing to do, start your regime, six weeks later, then go and look in the mirror. That's why if you take mirrors out of the gym, you would psychologically affect people. Yeah, Yeah. it's true. So, what did he say? There must be a commitment to the eternal principles of beauty, love and justice. How many would would agree with that? Life for none of us, has been a crystal star. But we must keep on moving. We must keep on going. I love this bit. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep on moving. See, when you're in restoration or when you're in deterioration, sometimes it takes all your energy just to keep, get out of bed. But you'll stay there. You'll stay there forever and ever. My mother stayed in that place. For a while, for a lot longer. Why? Because she needed somebody to get her off the bed. But once she got out of that self-pity, after my dad walked out and left her, after Shirley and I got in there and started to to resurrect what was in there, my mother became a beautiful human being. She was always a beautiful human being. But she she became this, this pillar of society. Why? All we did was put some value back into her. But she had enough reason when dad left to say, my world's over. And we believe, mom, it's time. You must keep on moving. Though she couldn't physically walk and she was out of breath, she kept on moving. To keep on moving is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a psychological thing. It's an intellectual thing. It's an emotional thing. And it's a physical thing. So whatever area you need to keep on moving in this morning, you seriously need to take a hold of this word and keep on moving. You're not finished, though you're down. Though you can't run, you're still not finished. So you've not got the results you were after, you're still not finished. Though someone keeps telling me I'm no good, you're still not finished. Keep on moving. You've got to have some principles. Have you got any principles? you sure? Paul said, a servant of Christ, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea and I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've had enough. I have labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. And besides everything else, I've faced the daily pressures of all the churches. But he kept on moving. And you think, you've got troubles. Next time you're feeling down. Next time you're feeling deteriorated, next time you're feeling I'm self-pity party, just read 2 Corinthians 11 and cheer yourself up. You think you're having a bad day? Do you know why he got through that? Because he had principles. He had a blueprint for his life. He believed now to him who can do all things. To who Him. I've committed. Paul had a blueprint. Let's stand to our feet, please. You know, your problems are real. So we can't compare everything with Paul. But I love that, what Paul's done. It just really just makes me think when I'm I'm complaining to God, I might not have had the hard day that I thought he had. And... If someone said to me, this is your destiny, Tony, I'd say, shove it. Keep it. I'm not up for that. I'm not up for that. I'm never to believe that. Who wants a life like that? But guess what? You're going to have it, whether or not. The only thing you might not get is shipwrecked and lashed. You might not get shipwrecked. Why? Because you don't go sailing. But you know what? You'll get lashed because people give you verbal lashing. You'll be in danger from your own countrymen. If you open up, if you keep on speaking, you'll be in danger at some point. But you know what? I've crossed the line, I've come too far. I cannot not do this. My mouth will get me in trouble. God told me in my mouth on roller skates. That means I'm going to waltz in and waltz out and know I'm going to be in trouble. And I think, Lord, save me from trouble. God says, Well, you're not Tony, I've heard the prayers of the saints, they're saying the same thing. Save him from trouble. But guess what? This is it, this is who we are. So, do you want to live in your origin? Do you want to live from your deterioration? We've all got it. Do you want to come through restoration? Or do you want to go in? Do you want to first go into it to come out? You got to be committed to see the process. Do you want adventure? I do. Oh, I desperately need adventure. I'm 55 years of age. I need more adventure. I need spirit adventure, absolutely. I need adventure. Some of us go to work day in and day out, do the same things. We need some adventure. We need some adventure. Go and do something you've not done before. Let the, let, just, just remind yourself that life is worth living. Go and do a bungee jump. Let your heart race and think, oh, my God, I nearly died. Just let you know that you didn't die. Just to let you know that you're still alive, you got a pulse. You might need to take some underwear with you, but at least go and live some adventure. Some of you need to go and get a car. Go and get in a racetrack and drive it. Have the thrill of putting your foot on the throttle on the open road. Go and get some adventure. Yeah? Some of you need to go and put some money down and buy something and experience some, some luxury for the first time. You've not done it. Go and do it. Go and enjoy life. You've got so many years left. Let let it not just be lived around for yourself, but let it live. Let it be lived for others. And let others see the adventure and the excitement in your life. Keep on moving. Doesn't matter how old you are, keep on moving. Amen? So look at the person at the side of you and say, You need to keep moving, you need some adventure. You need some adventure. Let's just raise our hands if we will. Let's seal this word. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the reality and the truth that's behind it. We thank you for the, 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 the reality that life is tough. But life is fantastic. Life kicks us. But life is full of ups and downs. And Father, the ups are Beautiful. The downs are not so beautiful, but they teach us so many things. Father, we subscribe to the beautiful blueprints of beauty, truth, and justice. For our nation, for our families, we declare beauty. We declare truth. And we declare justice over our children. Father, we thank you, O oh God, that nobody's going to take our dignity away. The Lord, that you restore to us the years the locust have eaten... That you restore to us, Lord, our dignity when it's been lost. I pray, oh God, for those who have lost partners. I pray, oh God, that you restore to them the joy of finding a partner, if that's what they need, a friend, if that's what they need. I pray, oh God, you will comfort the broken hearted. You will comfort, oh God, and you will bring people around them who can help them get up and continue on in the race. Father, We want to finish our race strong. And we run with all your energy. In Jesus' name, amen. The people of God said, amen.